You're listening to an Irreverent Podcast. Visit irreverent.fm for more content from our friends. Hi, friends. Sarah here with a brief disclaimer. You are listening to a podcast about making space for other people as well as for yourself, which may mean that you're going to hear language and ideas and thoughts, not just about life, but about faith that are different than your own. My hope is that you will listen to this podcast with an attitude of space making, being able to hear things that are different from what you may interpret the world to be. It also may be different than how the hosts feel about the world. But again, we are working together to make a little bit more space for each other. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Making Spaces podcast, a podcast about making space both literally and figuratively for yourself and others. I'm one of the hosts, Sarah, and this is the other host, Josie. Josie, how the heck are you? I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) Same. I feel, and it's like the middle of the afternoon, so it's kind of a weird time to be tired. Yeah, I just, uh, my, I had house guests and they just left a couple hours ago, so we had a really full weekend and I'm exhausted. (laughs) Oh gosh, yeah, because it's Monday. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So we record just a little, we record our shows earlier in the week and then we do a little intro in case anything big happens that we want to talk about. Yeah, so that was the only big thing. House guests. Well, you shot a wedding too, right? Oh, yes, I did. Oh, that was Friday. And then on Saturday, we went to the beach, and I hate the beach. And then we went to a baseball game, and I hate sports. And then we went to Disneyland the next day. Do you like Disney? Um, I enjoy Disneyland. I'm not like a Disney person. But I enjoy Disneyland, yes. Okay, okay, we can unpack that. (laughs) You like, like, you like the idea. You're not a Disney person. Like, you're not going to have the annual pass to uh, Oh, I'll have the annual pass, but I won't buy merchandise unless it meets my standard of design. Um, I don't like, I don't know. I'm not going to buy the yearly, like, 2020, 2021. They have a different design every year. Oh, they do? I'm not going to spend money on pins to trade. I'm not going to – I'm going to buy food. I'm going to walk around. I'm going to get on a ride. It's pretty much just an excuse for me to walk far distances without feeling like I'm walking far distances. Here's what I'm going to say. You are not a fan of anything. Um, I'm a fan of things. <laughs> what are you a fan of? Um, I'm a fan of podcasts. Okay. Okay. Of That's fair. Stand-up comedy. I'm not. I don't have an obsessive personality. I don't have an addictive personality. I'll so. say that. Hey, that's a good thing. Uh, yeah. I mean, obsessive. Like I can't stick to things I don't like, for example, or things in general. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, your place is starting to look really cute. I'm actually really glad this isn't. We're not recording this to have this part be um, on YouTube because, man, I was at my trailer this morning working on stuff, speaking about obsessive, trying to get, I'm in Bend, Oregon, where I'm living for the summer, um, and it has been just work, work, work. I can obsessively work on things. That is definitely part of my personality. Um, I like to work on things until they're done. So it's been hard because there's so much to do and so much to learn. But it was really fun yesterday. I had a bunch of friends help, which was the first. I had my friend, my dad and my friend in town who were helping. And yesterday was the first day that all my 
or not all, but some of my Ben friends were here to help. So it was super fun, but I, my whole body hurts. Like there's something about being 40 and doing things that it's just not like, I was like, why do I hurt so much? Oh, cause I had a normal work day. And well, manual labor is also more intense than other yes, true. body things. <laughs> it is. And especially right now, cause we're, we had to take all the skins of the walls down and carry the like skins, which are aluminum, carrying them everywhere. And yep, I'm just tired. Drill out all the rivets, every single rivet in that place. Whoop, but we popped out a bunch of dents, which I have to say is the most satisfied I've ever felt. Mm, I believe that. It's so pretty. Like when you see you pop at a dent, I don't know. It's and smooth. Yes, I feel like it's kind of how people feel when they like, I hate the videos, but some people like those zip popping videos. Mm. You like those? I love those. Oh, there's some pimple popping. Ugh, that's so gross to me, but I do like a dent coming out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, friends, we are excited today to share with you um, Nathaniel, and uh, he has been a friend of mine for years, and it's so fun. He has started doing, well, he has been, since he got out of uh, grad school, been really working on sort of marketing and communications for not just a church, but also for um, just an organization that works um, to do a conference for the queer community. Um, And so I I just think the conversation was so good as we talked about, you know, how do we curate without curating? I thought that was a really great word um, that you offered, sort of like when we curate things, it almost seems to have an intention that we are designing versus designing for um, people-driven design, which is this idea that you design for the community versus designing for the community you would like. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought that was really helpful. Is there anything else before we jump into this conversation that you want folks to kind of keep their ear earballs open for? Yeah, I guess uh, really sit in the whole, yeah, the design part of it of how design can play into gentrification and how church spaces 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 play into gentrification we have really cool conversations about all that so yeah yeah pretty designs can be very harmful so yeah keep that in mind homies (laughs) homies all right well enjoy the conversation and i think josie and i are both gonna go (laughs) take a nap in our separate states all right There, there came a point at which I realized I no longer reflected or could see myself reflected in that brand. And um, that can be true for, and I kind of, I'm retreading a little bit what I talked about on this other podcast yesterday, but um, I, I, look, I think about how, whether it's LGBTQ plus folks in their identities and relationships, whether it is disabled folks, and uh, need for access, whether it is persons of color, black, indigenous, Asian communities, um, looking at, at like who, who is on the platform, who, who has access, who is represented in the, um, the visual communications of the organization or institution. friends and welcome to another episode of the making spaces podcast as a podcast about making space for yourself and others both literally and figuratively i am sarah one of the hosts and this is the other host josie you already know (laughs) 
What if this is the first time ever, Josie, that they're ever listening? My name's in now, the title. They well, should know. Now they might think your name is Josie. You already know. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> friends, today uh, we are excited to um, have on the show a friend of mine and someone who does incredible work, um, Nathaniel Green, who is a designer, uh, not just like designs communications, he designs experiences and spaces, and we'll talk more about that um, online spaces as well as um, events and things like that. But he works for Q Christian Fellowship, um, which puts on, that's what it's called, right? Am I calling it the whole thing correctly? Yeah. Perfect. And also for Grace Point Church, um, an incredibly affirming church in Nashville. Um, and he has an incredible job title, which is, for one of them, it's the Director of Communications, right? That's for Christian Fellowship. And for the other one, it is the, I'm going to get it wrong, director and specialist. What kind of specialist were you? Communications and operations specialist. Specialist, guys. It feels very military. I'm excited to dig into a little bit about that. <laughs> but uh, I met uh, Nathaniel at uh, Wild Goose years ago, which is a festival that Josie and I will be going to this year, along with some more folks from the Reverent Media podcast group. And we'll talk more about that. And just loved this human and then got to see all the stuff that they and their husband create online. And I got to tell you, just putting beauty out into the world. And so I actually got to know the church that you work at because of you and um, Stan Mitchell at the time. So we're going to ask the question we ask everyone. Are you ready? This question so ready. is, where is one of your favorite spaces and why? There are many spaces I love. And if you ask me like, 40% of the time, the answer is going to be in front of a fireplace with a book. But I love spaces and helping facilitate spaces where LGBTQ identities, relationships, and lives are not just affirmed or included, but celebrated and have a seat at the table. I love that. Um, and that's the work you've been doing. I mean, I, when I met you, this is a, a, a true story. I thought you were so much older than you were because of just the way that you have wisdom around some of the space making and space creating. Um, and I, I'm wondering if you could share a little bit of your story of how you came into this, um, yeah, into this awareness that spaces need to be created because you went to Liberty, right? Which is super open as a school. Josie's only Very. laughing. We've talked to a couple of people. Liberty makes uh -huh. really great people because you're like, yeah, this is not great. So can you talk a little bit about kind of <laughs> what made you so passionate about creating spaces for other folks? Yeah, Li Liberty does have a reputation that precedes it. Um, I always have to, every I, I avoid mentioning where I go to college unless it's like particularly salient to the like relationship right. or conversation. Um, but yeah, I, like so many others, grew up um, in the evangelical context, uh, Assemblies of God family in Michigan, Woot, um, woot. just north of Flint, um, living my best life. I, I went to, I was born into Assemblies of God. I went to uh, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod schools Whoa. and um, a Church of God Anderson Church for a while. Um, and my dad's family is Catholic, mom's family is Pentecostal. So there's some denominational uh, variance, so to speak, in my uh, <laughs> background. And um, I, I worked at a, an interdenominational youth camp for several years. Um, I was deeply, deeply involved in, in music um, in worship. That was sort of uh, the thing I did, the thing that I wanted to do with my life. Um, and so on that note, uh, one day in 
the summer of 2013, we received in the mail a brochure from this school in Virginia uh, that I'd heard about through friends. I had a couple of friends who went there. Um, on the brochure, Liberty University, were a beautiful sunset photo of the uh, Blue Ridge Mountains. And Ooh. unfortunately, being the vain person I am, I was like, this is it. Um, and so I was like, I see mountains, I want to go there. So I applied to one school, and that was Liberty University. <laughs> Within a week, I had I had the acceptance letter. I had, um, I, I was raring to go. I went that fall to visit the campus. And uh, upon graduating in 2014 uh, from high school, I went to Liberty. And um, while there, I... I really, I started to learn a lot about my faith and experiences that I had had no previous context for. Um, I learned about a guy named John Piper for the first time. I learned Ooh. about, yeah, <laughs> I feel like I need to, need to pray after mentioning that. Um, I, I learned a lot about uh, Southern Baptist theology that I had never really been exposed to because in the North, there's not a lot of Southern Baptist churches. It's, and there's like this culture and everything is, is really interesting. Um, it's so through. funny to find out, by the way, that like I didn't I went through seminary and had no idea who John Piper was. It wasn't until I came to Orange County that everyone was like, oh, you studied theology. <laughs> you must know John Piper's work. And I was like, I have no idea who that is. No, it's. Uh, yeah, it <laughs> I, it's a long story, but I, I was kind of um, I was a little captivated by neo-Calvinist theology for a bit. Um, Weren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> certainty, the. It was, it was, it was my thing. That's um, the real experimentation we all did in college, if we're honest. <laughs> yeah, really for, up to that point. That's what, that was what it was for me. Yeah. Um, and I, um, I started to realize I'd already known I was gay for a while to some extent, but I was kind of avoiding it at all costs. Um, wasn't really avoiding it, but I thought I was avoiding it. And so halfway through my college career, I'm realizing that I'm like experiencing like not just physical attraction, but like romantic attraction um, and starting to realize that like, I want, I want to love and I have love to share and I want a partner. Why, why is God against very simple mundane desires? Um, and so all that to say, when I'm kind of a, uh, my faith started to change my, this was at the time when the school was undergoing uh, a lot of unfortunate publicity because of its, um, uh, former president, weird saying that now, former president. Um, and I, I found myself politically changing, theologically changing, personally changing, started coming out um, while at Liberty um, within a few months of uh, the first, or sorry, the second semester of my junior year, I met um, a guy named Elliot who lived across the uh, hallway on my dorm. Oh, I didn't um, know that Elliot went there too. Oh yes, he did. He, he did go. <laughs> Um, so we met E73 at Liberty University, um, started <laughs> dating in April of 2017. And um, upon losing an internship at a mega church I was supposed to be working at because I came out, um, I sort of was left trying to figure out an internship situation. And that led over time, after listening to the podcast for some time, I reached out um, or someone reached out on my behalf and helped get me in touch with Grace Point Church in Nashville. And um, so I wound up moving to Nashville in May of 2018, kind of like, don't know what's happening next, but I need this internship to graduate from the school I'm not a fan of. 
And I, uh, I ended up, um, if I started off as a music intern um, because I studied music and worship, but I, I wound up uh, getting uh, offered a job on staff as the communications and operations specialist. Um, so in September of that year, right after my then fiance uh, moved to Nashville to follow me, a place he'd never been, um, I started working there part-time. And then a few months later, um, after just kind of applying, because I thought, why not? Um, I joined the staff of Key Christian Fellowship uh, in February of 2019 as an administrative assistant. Within a few months, um, became the uh, communications manager. And so Elliot and I have lived in Nashville now since uh, August of 2018. Two dogs. Um, like we I'm eat not a lot of food trying to make fun of you, but you know you are a stereotypical Christian college student who got married to their college sweetheart, who was a musician who went to Nashville. <laughs> You're just oh, yeah. such a stereotype. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm living every stereotype and also at the same time None of them. Uh, subverting them all. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could be in the Liberty brochure, but they'd have to like rename you. Yeah, I know. I was always wishing I would end up in one of those things. Like, come on, I'm, I smile. I smile. <laughs> Put me in. And now where did all of this, so one of the things I've noticed both about you and Elliot is this amazing eye, this like beauty for the ability to see things. Like you even mentioned that in the brochure, what you saw were these mountains. And so the mountains were the thing that like, you're like, oh, yeah, academic, whatever, but look at that. Um, do you feel, like I think about all the, all the content you create is so beautiful. And I'm just wondering Thanks. if that, if that's sort of been a, you know, like you said, you studied music, where did that skill set come from? Was it just something that was innate to who you are? Or is it that you're in partnership with Elliot, who is a amazing photographer? Some of the, my favorite pictures he's taken of me preaching were actually taken by Elliot. That's, that's wonderful. I'll tell him you said that. Um, he's a big fan of yours. Um, I, I always kind of I went through this like uh, phase in high school um, where I, I sort of very, in a very late fashion, discovered Hillsong and um, started discovering like the value of aesthetics when it comes to the way that we um, present material, concepts, slides, um, graphics, all that kind of stuff. And so I started to be really interested in how people make things look pretty um, and how they do it in a way that's like current. Um, how how can you know these churches? How do these churches make themselves look so visually appealing? Visually like, right. um, I actually discussed this yesterday with on another podcast about like the the role of uh, the brand of a church in, in like white evangelical mega churches and how that you kind of get conscripted into a marketing uh, system, and it's it's always been really interesting to me. Um, and so particularly after visiting Hillsong Church in New York City in 2014, um, visiting and becoming a music director and keyboardist for Elevation Church in 2015 and 2016, um, I really found a love for design as a way of um, furthering the aims of the community. And I did not really have very good taste. I knew how to look oh. at something and... Um, I, I could kind of understand the idea. I, I, I'm, I'm the kind of person who wants to find patterns. Um, I want to like, uh, I, I like trying to systematize things as much as possible. Um, 
Being that creative. sounds familiar. <laughs> That's <Sweeties. me. laughs> um, I, I want, I am always trying to identify the path of least resistance. Um, and design can sometimes be the exact opposite of that. Um, and so I, I was sort of learning as I went, Elliot is just an incredible, he's the best designer I know, the best photographer I know. Um, his eye, he grew up uh, overseas, um, spent a year living in London, then moved here. Um, and he just has a much, much more refined taste than I do. And so after becoming, um, after we started dating and becoming partnered, um, I started learning a lot from him and sort of. I'm going to need to me. see some pre Elliot photos because all I know <laughs> is you as this like style. I remember my friend who's really tall that was with me when we met you um, was like, that guy's tall and stylish. Maybe I can be tall and stylish. <laughs> like just really liked your oh. style. Was that Elliot's influence? Probably, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I had, there were multiple times in my life where people were like, you are dressing like five years behind. You need to, or you're, you're doing, you're, there's been moments where people have been like, we need to like update the way you present yourself. I just don't, I don't like thinking about it. Um, I've always related to, I, I think, I think Mike McCarg has talked about this before. Like just Probably not making to... fun of me for dressing him because that's a, <laughs> that's a constant. People will be like, hey, uh, Mike talked about you again. Oh, it's about how you slam his clothes all the time. I was like, that's not true. I just say, hey, maybe I was the one who stopped him from wearing bowling shirts. That was, that was a phase that I was like, I love you so much and I'm affirming and supportive of all the work you do. I can't handle you wearing grandpa shirts. I love that. That's, and Morel that's beautiful. shoes. <laughs> then he sent I me mean, a photo of him and uh, what was the actor he was working on a documentary with and the guy was also wearing Morels. And I was like, well, there goes my thing. But now he has like deck <laughs> shoes and I feel good about that. Anyway, off topic, but yes, he definitely, no, I, aesthetics are different for him. I, I get it. I mean, I maybe am not that far, but I, I definitely relate. I'm, I'm very much, I'm an Enneagram nine as well. And so I just kind of not, <laughs> I, I get very comfortable in things kind of being routine. Um, and my clothes are an example of that. So I, yeah, I don't shop very often for clothes. Elliot's the one who's like, we need to get you something. Um, but <laughs> I'm about to go to, actually, I'm going to San Diego on Friday. And um, I am like, Elliot's already like, we need to go buy you some things so that you like fit in better there. I'm, Screw San fun. Diego. Let me tell you, they dress <laughs> okay, funny down there. Anyway. LA girl <laughs> just coming out swinging. The thing <laughs> they that just I think, wear shorts. That's, <laughs> the thing that that's what think, he said, actually. That's true. <laughs> the thing that I keep thinking about as we talk and as we've talked before, and Josie and I have talked about this a lot, is I think so many churches or communities or, um, for instance, Q Fellowship, all this sort of stuff, they get, we get so wrapped up in um, creating the, con the actual content. So like working on making sure that um, we're caregiving for people in a way that's healthy. That sometimes this idea, and we have a, like an adverse reaction to the idea of branding or marketing, right? That feels, we've seen that done before and we've seen it harm other people. And so we, mm -hmm. like, even when you use the word branding or marketing, oftentimes um, more progressive spaces get kind of like, but we have to remember that there is, there are avenues, it's an avenue, it's a space making avenue for drawing people in. And it's not necessarily like, you joke, we joke about clothes, but obviously that's not necessarily like something that has to be done well, but we have to, it's sort of this, I feel like 
a balance that we're all trying to walk between being authentic to who we are, which I think is really important. Like I joke around with Mike, but I, I think if Mike started dressing like super snazzy, I'd be like a little concerned um, <laughs> because it's not authentically them. And, and we can talk about how like yesterday I was, so I'm living in Bend, Oregon for the summer and uh, we went out to a food truck and there were all of these people seated. And my friend April, who actually is originally from Long Beach was with me and we saw this guy sitting and she said, I think it's that, I think that guy's a pastor of that mega church. And I looked at him, I said, yep. And she's like, how do you know? And I was like, the t-shirt. Um, because it is this like branding that even up here in Bend where there's not, you know, you can kind of wear, well, just look at me. You can kind of wear whatever and nobody like blinks an eye. Um, but there is this like sort of aesthetic that is, it can almost be enough. I would love to hear both of your reactions to how do we walk that balance of not trying to be so slick that we're just replicating the thing that's been done before and we become a bit of a machine. So we're, you know, trying to make it so like classy or, or make it so that it's like within the relevant or whatever you want to call it frame and not sort of take on the superficiality. So it's like, you know, um, so I'd love to hear a little bit of that. Cause I will tell you true story. I almost know exactly when you went on staff based on what happened at Grace Point with their style. Right. So oh, they kind um, of had a, a, I call it like a United Methodist, like as my people, you know, it's just cute, right? It's like a cute branding. There's some clip art. And then all of a sudden it just became this way, very Nashville. Like it was very enculturally, it looked like the people, it had a different sort of feel. And so how do we walk that line without becoming just another machine? You know what I'm saying? Stylistically. Nathaniel, I would actually love, I don't know your opinions actually, so maybe not, but I would love to have a little healthy debate right now because I have a lot of opinions about <laughs> everything. Us, well, yes, but aesthetics, especially I am, I was an art major. Aesthetics are my thing in a very different way. Um, I grew up with a mother who aesthetics were everything bougie to mm. the max house. You could eat off of at any surface floors included at any point, shiny, very well kept, um, Ethan Allen furniture, which is very bougie when you live in the hood <laughs> and probably in general, I think for middle-class America, but so her aesthetics were on point the seasons would change one, one Thanksgiving showed a gazebo in the kitchen over the kitchen table, like wow. very intense, very aesthetically pleasing. Right. And then I grew up and I was like, this is, this house feels cold to me. And for other reasons as well, but there was no person. <laughs> there was no personality. There was no family pictures on their wall. There was no toys. There were no like, there was no room for anybody else in this house except for my mother's vision of what she wanted other people to assume about her life. And I also, we also grew up going to a church in the hood that was not really aesthetically pleasing. I mean, she would put flowers up there on Sundays, but that was it wasn't a cute building. It was old and kind of general looking. And then growing up and seeing Hillsong happen. And at the same time, the gentrification of the greater Los Angeles area started where yeah. everybody was like, oh, we're just making things look nice. And I was mm -hmm. like, for who? Not for me, not for my people. Like yeah. you can have your bougie bakeries and your bougie off-brand white ass people, taquerias, but this is not mm. like, this is not the, the brand, so to speak, because it's just not what, I don't know. So I've also 
as somebody who I'm also a graphic designer, kind of, um, and I have found often that I do not trust churches that have an aesthetic. Oh, and, that's interesting. So that's some of your baggage coming out. Yes, I don't trust. I mean, I've I'll, I've spoken about how I don't really like Hillsong, but in general, if a church is too bougie in their aesthetics, I think I'm not welcome there. That's not a place for me because I'm not polished. I'm not cute. I'm not like a brand. I'm just kind of a haphazard. I mean, if you come over to my house, it's a haphazard mess of homeliness because I like it to feel super lived in, even though I do in my head have the ability. I don't have the desire, right? Because I don't trust it. So Nathaniel, this is where the debate commences. If that's the vibe, I don't know. Let me know what no, you that's think. That's great and helpful. And I think you, you're you like naming something really important, which is sort of a question, who gets to define what an aesthetic is mm -hmm. and who gets to say it's good? Um, who is it serving? And I, there's not like always an easy answer to that question, but oftentimes to what you're naming, particularly churches like Hillsong or, or churches where there's this focus on the brand at all costs. Yes. Um, and you can participate, is, but you will be brought into the brand. All I can think about is like the brand at all costs. People can come Damn. in, but yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and you'll find, for example, reflecting when, when I was part of Elevation Church, um, thinking about how there there came a point at which I realized I no longer reflected or could see myself reflected in that brand. And um, that can be true for, and I kind of, I'm retreading a little bit what I talked about on this other podcast yesterday, but, um, I, I look, I think about how, whether it's LGBTQ plus folks in their identities and relationships, whether it is disabled folks and, uh, need for access, whether it is persons of color, black, indigenous, Asian communities, um, looking at, at like who, who is on the platform, who, who has access, who is, represented in the, um, the visual communications of the organization or institution. Um, see, to, to what you're saying, all of that is completely fair and valid. And I sort of, Elliot and I talk about this a lot because we have overlapping careers. <laughs> he works with like, he works for a, a large uh, media corporation. I work for nonprofits. So we have very, very wow. different- opposite um, spectrums. <laughs> yeah. We have very different, he, his corporate clients are transnational multi-billion dollar corporations. And I'm like, you know, I work for small nonprofits. And, <laughs> well, and um, probably Elliot a little bit being a non-white American, right? Not, not, that's not the background necessarily yes. that Elliot reflects. So. Yes, he, he has, he, we have different opinions on the application of brands to faith spaces. Mm -hmm. And we debate this often. We even went on a Twitter space when they first became available for us to talk Hell about this. Yeah. Three people showed up, but um, it was I fun. I wish I had seen that. I would have totally gone. <laughs> You're, you, you did not miss a thing. Um, <laughs> I think that, um, I think that there is a balance to be had because I understand what you're saying about if you see like a faith community has paid attention to their their visual representation in a way that seems really coordinated, uh, strategic, it I, I I can feel sometimes like 
are you are you spending too much time, energy, and resource on mm. a, a presentation that speaks nothing of the actual substance of what you do, what you believe, what you say? Um, and that's perfectly real. And um, that's where that sort of like is is it a superficial reality that you you are trying to construct to attract people? Um, that's fair. I, I believe in a balance where the tools required to effectuate a somewhat cogent aesthetic and insofar as it reflects the, the heart substance and values of the community, right. um, it, is, it, is, it is possible to do that in a way that is loving, that, that does not require a huge diversion of important resources, whether financial or, or, or persons or mm -hmm. uh, the spaces around you that doesn't abuse or exploit. Um, and in doing that, um, we can create communities. I, I believe that there is a need for more attention to visual presentation in progressive and post-evangelical faith spaces. Yes. Well, I, I agree. Now you're preaching. <laughs> now you're about to preach because I'm. I got some thoughts on this. <laughs> yeah, I just. I, I'm not sure if I'm not. I don't know that I'm like debating you. I. I you're I not debating anyone. Well, I'm an There's eight. There's no debating. So conflict she just is my likes love debate. So I'm a three and you're a nine. We don't. That's not our communication style, Josie. We don't. That is not how we do it. <laughs> it's good for people though. Conflict is good. In your opinion, because you're an eight. Um, the rest of I've us been told that. It's, <laughs> it's how you build relationships. Four and eight. That's what my Absolutely. husband says to you. I've, I've learning. I'm learning from him. Yes. <laughs> um, but also, can you honor our space of not debating? Just kidding. It's like a space making question. Um, I know. I just had this conversation with my friend who is uh, an eight as well. And she was just saying, all right, I know that like for you, these are the things I want to say so that I know that I can like bring us together. And I think um, so often, and I wouldn't say it's a debate, but a conversation has to be had about, um, even just from experience, both Josie and I, um, Josie still works there. And I um, just retired, not really, but um, stepped away from my position as a lead pastor of a church that was falling apart. And um, the number of times we've heard that people started coming to the church once the church started to revitalize, right? Now, is that gentrification? The question becomes, well, the people that were going there were brought into the process, but they weren't necessarily part of the process. So that's hard, right? Like, how do you make those decisions? Now, that's a little bit different because we're talking elderly, um, a lot of elderly folks. But there is seems to be this balance, I feel like, where people have to feel both um, that the space is cared about enough, whether that's an online space, like curated enough, like Josie does a great job of curating our churches the, the church's uh, Instagram account so that it it looks like someone's paying attention, right? When you say that's kind of like the thing, is it being paid attention to versus is it strategic to the point of feeling like, like you said, Josie, like it was a package that somebody bought that had nothing to do with that neighborhood and environment. And I think as we look at spaces, how do we make them eclectic enough where folks don't feel like it's sterile, but tidy enough and um, 
used enough to the point where it looks like someone is paying attention to this space. Um, and almost, you know, like I always say at churches that have a lot of clutter, what that says to me is that is your space and I'm not welcome into that space. In the same way, if it was too sterile, right? There's a sort of balance. And I think it's the same way with design. If it's too corporate, and the hard part is, is I think what we're rubbing into right now, joking aside about debating, what we're rubbing into is that um, it, it really is a hard balance and it's almost situational based on each mm -hmm. community, which is, I think, the case for most things when we're creating space, whether that's a conference or an event. And I think what happens within progressivism is there's so many opinions and everyone should have voice, but then it's hard to figure out what direction we're moving in. So with, I think, the example, Josie, of the church that you grew up in, um, were the aesthetics ha handled by people in-house? And that makes sense that that's the vibe that they should be given out. Like, if all of a sudden they started looking like Hillsong, that would be so questionable, right? You'd be like, what happened here? And I think about, not to poop on Hillsong, but I think about the fact that they brought folks in from outside, and then they did that thing in that space. And I think that you guys can say that whether it's gentrification of design or whatever, that's kind of where the rub happens. The problem happens when I am the decision maker and I've been brought into the space without participation or invitation almost of those within. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, like in yeah. Los Angeles, Hillsong came in and rented a building that was probably affordable for them. And an area that I'm not really certain needed a Hillsong, you know, LA is full of lots of churches and they're a huge contributing factor to the gentrification of the area. And because you see a lot of hip people walking around and the question is like, is this aesthetic what the city of Los Angeles needed when we have lots of other issues at hand? How do we celebrate that aesthetic that was already naturally? Cause there is like a, mm -hmm. there's a cool, like, um, I pick on Josie saying that her, what did I say the other day? Your pronouns are L and A because she just loves <laughs> Los Angeles so much. And uh, I think, but I think your, some of your reaction to it is it really is being stomped out when someone comes in from outside and says, this is the new rules. This is the way. And I mean, we'll be honest, coming from Orange County in Nashville, we can go into a coffee shop and tell you who works at a mega church. Yep. Just walking through the door. Um, you can go, oh, those people may not have a Bible in front of them, but someone's being discipled. Um, so yeah. what, what is that? And how do we avoid that, whether it's on media or websites, I think of, or like kind of re-trauma, not traumatizing, activating folks who have had negative experiences in those spaces. Like when you're working on um, Q Christian Fellowship stuff, do you, how do you again, walk this line. And I, I don't know if it's too vague of a question, but as I think about that, I think about what would it look like for me if a space had not been, I had not had access, true access to a space, right? So you talk about not just affirming, but celebrating. If I haven't had a situation where my identity and my partnership, whatever, hasn't been celebrated, how do I, as I'm trying to be a quote unquote good designer, how do I design a space in a way that doesn't initially put up walls for folks? And, it, and it's a hard question that comes to across all kinds of design, right? Yeah, I think that, and I'm speaking pretty uh, off the cuff. <laughs> um, I think that 
I, I just finished the book, um, Why We're Polarized by Ezra Klein. And or is it why we're so polarized? I think it's just why we're polarized. I think it's just but, why we're polarized. I've heard it's so good. Yeah, I, I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did. Um, and, it, and it sort of, while it's very, it's very oriented towards like group think, group identities and, and as it pertains to politics, I actually found it useful in how I think about what I do um, in, in terms of, uh, for, for example, uh, Q Christian Fellowship, the, the work of the organization is very um, um, identity focused. It's about our uh, sexualities, gender identities, our experiences with as they intersect to faith and creating radical belonging for those individuals and allies who are seeking to to bring about a world that fully affirms, celebrates, and includes LGBTQ identities, particularly in the church. Um, and my work with Grace Point is a community that is not specifically just for LGBTQ plus people. It is for all people and the, the experience is a bit more centered on not just our local community and our online community now that's grown throughout the pandemic, pandemic but also um, what, what is it we share in common with regards to our values as progressive Christians? Um, most of us are post-evangelical. And so it's, it's, there is still an, an identity focus um, there's also a, a, a bit more of an ideological focus in some ways. Um, and I think, you know, with Q Christian as an LGBTQ plus organization, um, one of the small ways that that sense of welcome is pretty immediately conveyed is through the, you know, the color palette through um, trying to use, uh, and I'm kind of getting the weeds here, but like rounded edges, softer colors, a sense of uh, gradients that look as if there's light coming from a certain direction, blending colors. By the way, I'm just watching Josie's face go, yes. <laughs> Art school all over again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I, I am a music and worship major. I have no formal education in any of this. So I'm, um, if someone's listening and they're like, what is he talking about? I completely understand. No, you're um, right. You're right. <laughs> I, I, um, I think that how, how we build a space uh, Grace Point when I joined the staff was moving into this uh, renovated uh, Methodist church in West Nashville. And that was a very different aesthetic than the space in which the church used to gather. Um, and now we gather post pandemic, we've been gathering in a, in a music bar in downtown Nashville. Um, very, very different environments, but the because of kind of the color palette and the the photography, it's been able it's it's been anchored by like a pretty simple set of color swatches, um, photographs that are consistently styled, and um, a uh, the pandemic sort of forced you know thinking about rather than gathering in in-person spaces that are constructed with their own visual identity, um, you have to create virtual spaces that are constructed with some kind of virtual identity so that you feel like you have those that, that room for your small group, that room for your young adult hangout or whatever, um, your, that room for your, your book study. So um, with, with Grace Point, it's just kind of a different set of parameters as to how, how for example, sermon series. I, I try and kind of like a 10 week sermon series series will have a specific kind of identity and color palette. So for the most part, 
the external communications will kind of be anchored inside of that temporary color palette. Um, and so I, I'm always trying to kind of balance um, not just the visuals, but also like the words we use. Are we, how clearly um, and concisely are we communicating what we believe, who we are and who we are aspiring to be? Um, how clearly on our website, how, how, how long does it take for an LGBTQ plus person to identify that we're an affirming community? Um, how long does it take for them to find a key resource that will help them reconcile their faith and their experience? Um, how, how quickly will they, will they just know that they belong? Um, and that works on a number of levels. And I think, um, you know, as with regards to like Grace Point, there's always, with, with regards to any faith community, there's always work to be done to ensure that that sense of welcome and access um, expands beyond um, individual um, identities for, so any, the question becomes, can, is, you know, LGBTQ person welcome? Great, is, is a, uh, a black queer woman welcome? Is there work being done to ensure that there is equity and injustice in the staff makeup, in the work we do, in the resources we have? Like, there's always work to be done. Um, and as a, you know, a post-evangelical space, from a white evangelical tradition that's aiming to be progressive and inclusive, there is work to be done here in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and so I'm not sure if I'm actually answering your question. I'm just kind of rambling, but I think no, there's a totally lot to balance. Are. Yeah, I think there's a lot to balance. And I think people don't, um, it's so fascinating how people outside of the design community, even that's intentionality of like the shapes of letters and, and things like that. Um, we. I don't think we often, I don't think everybody thinks when they walk into a space. So um, what, what is happening in this space? So one of the things when I'm like consulting with churches is I'll say, okay, if I walk into your space, how do I know who's in charge? And should I think that one person is in charge? What is the shape of the community? And I don't mean like like, what is the shape of the community? Is it a circle where people are in and it grows and grows and grows? Or is it everyone's facing front? Now, it's not necessarily just that all the chairs are facing front. It can go from the level of design to like all these things. And then you throw in COVID where everything switched. So people are discovering things about you because like your, both of your roles became so important. Like they were important before, right? Absolutely. But people weren't just walking in the doors anymore. So people, the first encounter they're having with church community or, or, or culture, like whatever, even like businesses and things like that was the designer's reflection of what you're talking about right now. This idea of, am I welcome in this space? How quickly can I discover if I'm welcomed in this space? Because as much as we joked, all three of us had a visceral reaction to church communities that we very quickly realized we didn't, we aren't fully, myself as a female lead, um, you know, Josie as someone who is not a, you know, white, normal, you know, what their version of normal, like whatever that is, which is not normal for LA, by the way, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it's actually the abnormal thing is what's on your bulletin, but we can talk about that later, a brochure. Um, and so I think it's just even the beginning process and, and, and sort of even as a, you know, I think we've talked about it before, but art is always evolving. And so is design, right? So the idea that, okay, like we didn't maybe nail it this time, but we're, we're constantly evolving. Even as you talked about 
the building changing and how that's then changed your design. And I think we get so grounded and rooted and we have to have, you know, I, I laugh, but like Methodist churches started looking a little hillsongy with their design, like 10 years after, because it's like, we're always 10 to 15 years after like the big move, <laughs> um, whatever the shift is. And so how do progressive communities, your spaces, it's learning to have a voice even within design. So I think that's why I'm so, um, I think just enamored and thrilled with both of your voices that you guys bring into the, into the space of design, because it does, whether we realize it or not, that voice is as important. I think all pieces of a community are liturgy, right? All pieces, like from the design to whatever it might be. And I think we often forget that. And so progressive churches feel guilty for having redone their space. And so they just won't spend the money at all on that, which makes sense, except eventually those spaces start to go away because of deferred maintenance or whatever it might be. And I think it's just something for us to think through and about and realize we're not going to get it right every time. Right. Like, you know, I don't think, I mean, I, I think about, um, you know, what is the gathering now called? It used to be called the big gathering that QCF used to do. Oh, the conference, the conference. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I'm sure you've gone through so many iterations and every year there's something different that we learn from it and go, oh gosh, we missed the mark on that one. Ableism. I remember one year someone was like, oh my gosh, we, you know, we missed out on this moment. Some of our language was very ableist and how do we move through that? And so I think it's, that's the beauty of art, right? Art is never done. And same with community mm -hmm. making, it's never done. And the space is growing and growing and growing. Um, so even things to think through, because I think for so long gentrification is something that people didn't think about. Those that it was happening to thought about it, but you know, it, it I think the language even that you use, Josie, of like, they're coming in to make it quote unquote better, right? And then you said, but who is it better for? I don't even think they would have said, well, we're helping the people in the community, not realizing you're edging people out. And the people that did realize, obviously that's a bit of a evil, um, right? Yeah, I think that's the important part of aesthetics probably is being authentic to the community and not being curated because once you start curating, then you start adjusting and you start edging people out because they don't look correct. Or like at Hillsong, if you don't dress all super cool in their hip way, that's super redundant and derivative anyway, then you don't belong because you're wearing a little nerdy t-shirt or whatever, you know, that's, I think the danger that has happened is that people curate and people don't accept because you don't fit the curated view. Do you think the curated view is one that's closed off? So curation is a word to me that feels like only these things can come in and then versus like, sometimes I think curation can be like looking at that and like including, I don't know what the word for that would be, but more kind of the idea of reflecting the community you're in. And I know for just knowing both of your work that both of you do that, like you look at a space, but I'm wondering what the word is. I tend to use the word curating, but I see what you're saying there that that can be like a well, from like an art perspective, curation is very specific. It's like, even if you have a Monet show, for example, only specific works are used in the right. specific show, um, even though they all technically have the same aesthetic. Whereas if you're, it's like a, 
juried exhibition that's what doesn't really matter it's just like everybody whatever you want to bring in i don't really know what the word is it's an open call i guess Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um guys i this has actually got my mind going in a bunch of different directions is there anything that either of you would like to add before we ask the closing question of our uh, dear guest who's probably like wow you didn't even know you were doing all this incredible work did you um anything that either of you want to add in uh, stop wearing Chelsea boots to church, please. I love Chelsea boots, but if you authentically wear Chelsea boots, you're welcome to wear them to church. <laughs> That's so funny. I, Elliot has a pair. Um, Sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't really wear them anymore, though. Um, no, I was just kind of thinking about how when a when a when an organization or institution like Hillsong shows up in a community, there's a very different there's a very different power dynamic than mm. a local um, a local congregation trying to create something um, good and wholesome and, and just and generous for their own community. Um, something that, sure, it, it starts there and it grows beyond. Um, but when, when a Hillsong campus shows up in your town, um, that's the different story. And so I think I, I kind of see the the work, for example, that I do designing stuff for Grace Point um, as a way of resisting any kind of monopolization on the value of aesthetic and branding in conservative, predominantly white evangelical spaces. Mm. And I see it as sort of like, you don't own, you don't own this, you don't, it's not just for you. And, and it might not be for everybody else either. Like it's it, not everybody wants that and that's okay. It doesn't, it's, that's okay. Um, it just is what it is. And so I, I, do, I do see it as sort of, uh, this really matters to me and absolutely my, my perspective on design and what looks good is limited by all sorts of compounding factors. My location in society, my privileges, my identity, my experiences, my education. Um, it's, there are a lot of, elements of that that I have to, to the best of my ability, be aware of. And I'm thankful when people name those things, particularly my husband. Um, I'm thankful <laughs> for when those things are named. And so I, I do see it as sort of my own personal um, calling in, in my work is to, to sort of claim the value of design and the value of effective and clear communications of, of sort of public relations in a way as, as saying that this, this is important and beautiful and good, and it doesn't just belong to the spaces that told me I wasn't enough for them. Ooh, I'm not gonna lie to you, you just uh, did a great job of like articulating so well, which is why you do communications, what our entire hour long conversation was in like three sentences. It was so good. I got goosebumps talking about design guys. <laughs> That's how much I care about aesthetics and, and not in like a, yeah, the way you said it was beautiful. So here's our last question for you. If, if someone who is listening to this as a designer or whoever they might be, what is like one thing, and it can go as tangible as you want, but one thing that people can do to make space right now for themselves or others? What do you think if there's like one takeaway for people? If you are participating in a, a faith community or volunteering for an organization, and you have a skill set to offer that maybe isn't being um, seen as important 
to the work of that community or the way that community presents themselves. Um, and you have the time or the bandwidth to be able to kind of like offer that or ask for a, a, a payroll, um, I would encourage you to do that. Um, if, if you have a passion for um, creating visual space, creating um, aesthetic space, then if you can, uh, find ways to do that. Even if it's just for you, um, find ways to be creative and find ways to make the theological, ecclesi ecclesiological, the, the whatever, whatever thing you're passionate about, ethics, whatever it is, um, find ways to be able to disseminate those values and those messages in, in ways that people can resonate with and relate to things that people want to share and participate in. Um, and I, I say that with an awareness that that can be done really cynically um, and that can be done exploitatively. Um, and also with the strong affirmation that boundaries are important. Um, but I, I do think there, there are, are, are many opportunities for people who are passionate about design, branding, communications to kind of identify the places where they can be helpful. Um, I love, I, I love volunteering. Um, I don't ever feel like exploited in a way if I'm volunteering and I'm like, like if I'm able to just say yes or no, like, um, and if that's something that you love to do, do it. But uh, yeah, find ways to participate in that work, to, to, to use your creative gifts in, in that work if you're not already and um, love your community and your neighbors and yourself well in that way. I love that. That is a great way of saying it. Amen. Are, are there places and spaces that folks can find you and engage your work? Yeah, um, I am. I am on Twitter somewhat sparingly because it's, it sort of stresses me out. But <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Nathaniel T Green. Um, Nathaniel is spelled with an I-A-L at the end, and that's a whole story unto itself. But um, you can find me there, um, Instagram, same username. Um, and then you can you can find my husband, but I don't remember what his usernames are because he's changed them a few times. <laughs> but if you go looking for him, you'll find him. Um, and then, yeah, my, my work is sort of, you know, I, I'm, I'm here sort of pseudo personally and, <laughs> but like you can find my work uh, with Grace Point Church uh, community here in Nashville, gracepoint.net, Grace, that's Grace Point with an E, um, and also Q Christian Fellowship, which is qchristian.org. The Q Christian Fellowship is, um, Josie, you may not know this, but a lot of folks found us, our community through Q Christian Fellowship because people were going to the conferences and then talking to each other and saying, oh, wow, you're from Orange County. I'm from Orange County. I actually found a church that I, I feel like I can like get invested in. And that's kind of, so I'm grateful for your conference and for all the work that it's done. So it is we'll a in Albuquerque. That's where this next January. Is. That's exciting. Yay. Yes, so make sure you sign up for that. So Josie, where can folks can find us? You can find us at makingspacespodcast.com on Instagram at makingspacespodcast. You can find me at Josie Takes the World and Sarah at Rev Sarah Heath. 
All right, friends, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us for this conversation about aesthetics and gentrification and no gentrification and where do you volunteer and all this. It's so helpful, guys. Um, I am grateful for the work that both of you do. So we'll see you next week where we'll be. Saving a space for you. Bye. Bye. This has been an Irreverent Media Podcast.